0: church family. We are now today in chapter 30 of Exodus. Um, and as I was going through this study, I can't help but just uh, to dwell on the loveliness of God and that this world that we live in is created with a order. And even when we don't fully understand it, there are things that that, um, the, the, that the world, how the world functions is just a very lovely place. I think this is why creation uh, reflects the glory of God, and, and we're going to see that uh, uh, in this chapter. It's it's d- these different constructions, mainly of like uh, the oils, uh, the the incense that they had to make, and and you know when you read through these chapters on, on a regular devotion time, it's easy to just kind of pass through and just kind of read through it quickly and skim it without really understanding how this actually shows the beauty of our God. Um, our God is a god of order creation testifies to that the reason why the sun goes up and the sun goes uh, down or yeah, it goes down or how the moon the stars how everything works so perfectly with one another Okay, that would argue that it, because the world is so perfect just by looking at creation that there has to be a divine creator because there's no way that something so random can happen and that everything just works so uniquely uh, with one another and in harmony um, in fact, when we, even when we listen to music and there's this harmony, it's, it's a lovely sound. Uh, from everything from the, the senses that we see, it's all designed to show that our God is a God that's in complete control and that uh, he built this world a certain way to operate a certain way. And in the same way, uh, when we look at the temple these last several chapters about the consecration of the priest, the altar, the, um, uh, the, the bronze altar, the tabernacle. <coughs> the garments, everything about uh, how God wants the Israelites to look, and uh, and and even the construction of everything, it's not random. And they are supposed to point uh, to something greater, and that is ultimately Him. It's Him alone. Now, uh, when we get to this part in this chapter, I am going to jump around a little bit because of, um, I think, the way that it's constructed. It, it, it would just be easier to follow if I... Uh, jump around a little bit, which sounds weird, Um, and you'll see what I mean uh, in a second. But again, like the other few chapters and a few lessons we've we've gone through, I'm going to just draw out principles for us to think about as we go through this portion. So chapter 30, verse 1, Moreover, you shall make an altar as a place for burning incense. You shall make it of archaea wood, its length shall be a cubit and its width a cubit. It shall be square and its height shall be two cubits. Its horn shall be of one piece with it. You shall overlay it with pure gold and top of its sides all around its horn. <laughs> you shall make a gold molding all around it." So this is basically uh, this little thing that holds the candle or incense. And and, wh- and what the incense is supposed to teach the Israelites is that um, that you need to pray because you know like much like when you burn the altar and it goes up to the lord the incense is particularly used for for prayer that when you're praying it's supposed to go up to the lord and you'll see as we continue on how that works verse 4 you shall make two gold rings for it and under its molding you shall make them on it on its two side walls on opposite sides they shall be holders for poles which to carry it you shall make the poles of archaea wood and overlay them with gold you put this altar in front of the veil that is near the ark of the testimony in front of the mercy seat that is over the ark of testimony where i will meet you so this basically looks like somewhere in in between the the table where they uh do all the uh sacrifices or even putting all the meats and stuff and then the um uh, uh, and the in uh, uh, the lampstand so it's kind of like in the middle here if you were to visualize it uh it's like kind of in the middle, which I guess shows you that uh, it's, it's, it's in front of the holy holies, meaning that it's not in it, and and the prayer is supposed to go up and and through, like, kind of over it, meaning that the prayers go is going to the Lord. Again, this will be a picture, a visual picture of what's going on spiritually, and that's what the whole this all of this is about. Really, it's supposed to show them that these are heavenly realities here. Um, the temple is supposed to look like, the, the, uh, looks like heaven, and this prayer, is, uh, these incenses will look like how our prayers go up to the Lord. Verse seven, Aaron shall burn fragrant incense on it, and as he shall burn every morning he, uh, when he trims the lamps, and when he trims the lamps at twilight, he shall burn, in, burn incense. There shall be perpetual incense before the Lord throughout your generation. So then, this means here that this prayer, this idea of prayers, will go a, day and night. And we understand in the New Testament principles how Christians are called to pray without ceasing. Um, this is why uh, this is something that you, that's will show this will show the Israelites that you can go to the Lord at any time. Granted, they are supposed to we'll go to the temple to do it. Uh, there is a specific location, certain places, and people that they're supposed to uh, go to in order for the prayers to be heard, but for us in the New Testament, we understand that we don't have those type of restrictions because of Christ, because of who he is, he hears our prayer, because the Holy Spirit indwelling in us, all of our prayers are made known to the Lord. Uh, the Holy Spirit teaches us how to pray even when we don't know how to pray, and because of the work of the of Christ, He, the, our great high priest, we can go to the Lord, uh, go to our Father. So the Trinity is at work in the New Testament sense, but in the Old Testament, this is something that they're constantly having to do having this uh, limitation but yet having access to the lord there are restrictions and and, and specific things that god expects of them um, and that's the only way that they can worship and this will teach them of a greater way that is to come first now you shall um, not offer any strange incense on this altar or burning offering or meal offering and you shall not pour out the drink offering on it And we see later on uh Nadab and Abihu. This is actually what they did wrong. They offered a strange offering, a strange incest and they were killed for it. Verse 10, Aaron shall make atonement on its horn once a year, and you shall make atonement on it with the blood of the sin offering of atonement once a year throughout your generation. It is most holy to the Lord. So this, like the bronze altar, they're, they're supposed to at least one uh, once a year uh, make a sacrifice, not to the altar, but for it in the sense that like they're, they're purifying this thing that like you know, because of the sinfulness of man, everything they, t- they touch is corruption. And this this uh, incense um, is supposed to be for that same reason. Like you, uh, You're offering prayer every single time, and eventually it gets corrupted, in a sense, and you need to make atonement for that. Now, I'm going to jump up to the end of the chapter, because at the end of the chapter, it explains how this is supposed to be made. Uh, verse 34, Then the Lord said to Moses, Take for yourself spices, secti, uh, and on Anikcha and galbanum, spices with pure frankincense that shall be an equal part of each. Uh, so, anikcha, uh, I think that's how you say it. it's. It's this um, powder that you can only get from clam shells, like uh, clam like clam shell like creatures. Like you're supposed to find them, kind of like maybe on the beach or something, or close to the water. And you're supposed to grind them, and then it becomes a powder. So that's one of the ingredients. Galbanum is a is a plant. Uh, it's from this plant that's like brown colored And it's supposed to actually, uh, you know, have a certain type of smell. And these spices of pure frankincense, it shall be equal part. That all of this is what the candles made of. Now, if you look at some of those, like I've never actually had, like looked at the ingredients for the Roman Catholic candles. uh, But I have bought candles for my wife and looked at some of the fragrance. And you know that's possible. Like it can smell a certain way when you mix things together. That's kind of what this is. And at the time, there's no way that people would have understood that they didn't make this knowing that okay if you mix all of these together then there's going to be a certain odor that comes out that's actually very pleasing uh, but god told them this is what you're supposed to do and it's supposed to smell really nice and this would be that your prayers offered to me is a pr- is a nice thing that it's pleasing for the lord to hear our prayers when we go to him again this is uh, highlights of the importance of prayer in our own life that when we pray the lord wants us to pray to him that's why the New Testament, when when Jesus' disciple asked him, teach us to pray. It's, it's pleasing to the Lord when we go to him. Whatever it may be, from the smallest thing to the greatest thing, our Father cares about our prayers. He wants to listen to us. He wants us to go to him. Um, and again, this is a call for us to, to take our prayer time seriously. Uh, I think sometimes we only pray during meals, and uh, yeah, that's fine, but then we should be praying at all times. We should uh, pray without ceasing, and that's something that we're that we are instructed as a continual fellowship and communion with the Lord. And it's pleasing to him when he, hear, when, he, when, when he hears our prayers. Verse 35, with it, you shall make an incense, a perfume, the work of a perfumer, I means so there's a specific person that's supposed to do this, salted and pure and holy. So again, this little incense here is it's supposed to last, uh, from the context here, it seems like each, each incense is supposed to last about 12 hours. Um, and salt it, meaning that this will be a purifying, and this will be preserving as well. And again, there's no way that they would have known that scientifically. Remember, these are people that lived in Egypt, right? These aren't like scientists, people here. They're just like told to do these things, and only in retrospect we can see, how, oh yeah, God is amazing, and that He's using the creation, the created order, and these different elements, to uh, for the people to to enjoy this and to, uh, to smell like, wow, this smells really lovely, and also as a way to worship the Lord. <coughs> verse 36 you shall beat some of it very fine and put part of it before the testimony in the tent of meeting where I will meet with you it shall be most holy to you the incense which you shall make you shall not make in the same proportion for yourself it shall be holy for you Uh, whoever shall make any like it to use as perfume shall be cut off from the people so this this particular incense, the, the mixture and the ingredients as used, is only for one particular purpose. They're not even supposed to replicate it, so there's no bootlegging here. It's used specifically for the, uh, for the incense so that they can you know, symbolize their prayer to the Lord. Again, that's, that's uh, what this incense is designed for. It's supposed to... <coughs> Excuse me. It's supposed to design... It's designed to show visually that when they're praying, it goes up to the Lord and, he, and he's pleased by it and even the incense itself is supposed to be separated from all the other incense that they could make. So again, they could actually make different types of incense and different type of candles for different purposes um, outside of idolatry. They can even use it for, you know, maybe understanding it gives them a like, creative idea to make something that, oh, this can be a good gift that I can give to my family. But this particular incense that's made with these type of ingredients are only specifically used for worship in the context of a, a praying to him and, and in the temple too. So now, jumping back to verse 11, the Lord also uh, spoke to Moses, saying, When you take a census of the sons of Israel to number them, then each of them shall give a ransom for himself to the Lord when you number them, so that there will be no plague among them when you number them. This is what everyone who is numbered shall give. Half a shekel according to the shekel of sanctuary, the shekel is twenty gareth, half a shekel as contribution to the Lord. Now what is this point? What is this point census here. Now census is from our, we actually did re- census recently and the way the reason why we do census is for it's to count how many people are there so that like you know how many people can um, that we can elect to the Senate or the House Representative kind of thing <clears throat> and even for tax purposes. Back then in Israel uh, it, there were two reasons why you would take a census. One to number the people to go to war and two for taxation purposes. So uh, for war this is a, a, a crucial point to understand that it is voluntary it's not like okay god's forcing the people to fight but that those that are going to fight uh they are called to give a census and they need to even give like contra- contribution to it, saying that like okay i'm giving out certain things to the lord and the lord will, will protect me from uh from the you know from killing uh, from being killed um so the census is so to was before war and War back then in the Old Testament is actually only uh, called by the Lord. So it's actually the only time that there will give a census is if God said, we're going to go and kill these Philistines and, and, and only in these particular places. Like, they were not supposed to expand to all over the world. They're only to go in the promised land that God has given. Them. It's divided up specifically for Israel. And they're supposed to only be in that land. They're not supposed to have some global conquest. That is not what they're supposed to do. They're supposed to stay in the promised land and and in their faithfulness, in that promised land, be a blessing to all the other nations. Obviously, we know in the Old Testament that they failed. But this actually answers the question, well, the Old Testament God is for war. And that is true, but it's only because, one, those evil people in the the promised land are evil. They're wicked people. We said earlier in one of the episodes that the Israelites, I mean, uh, the, these Canaanites, these uh, uh, they God was merciful to them for four hundred years. God prophesied all the way back in Genesis that okay, these people have not reached have not reached the boiling have not reached God's boiling point. There's a, a tremendous amount of mercy for hundreds of years, and and it's only then where. God's wrath is finally filled up, and He uses He raises up the Israelites to take them out. But that's it; they're not supposed to go anywhere else. They're not supposed to go beyond any borders. Only those people that have sinned against the Lord for 400 years; um, those are the people that uh, that God uh, commands to, to go and kill. Uh, no one else. They're not supposed to cross any other lines to go, like you know, to like Asia or whatever, or down all the way down to Africa. They're only supposed to do this in the context of the Promised Land because God has given only that land to them. And the other one's for taxation purposes, which is um, you, know, you give a census so that all the taxation is supposed to just do the upkeep of the temple. Uh, that's the only two reasons why you would do a census. Now, side note, in Second Samuel, David does the census, and he was advised against him by his generals. say, do not do this, and he does it. And he does it because you know, he wants to go to war. He wants to elevate and, put, and puff himself up, and because of that sin, this uh, promise here is fulfilled that there will be a plague among them, and that's what happened. When David did it, uh, he, first of all, he wasn't supposed to do it because it was supposed to be the priest that does it. The priest was supposed to do all of this, and David was not a priest. And he did it, and that's why there was a plague at the end of 2 Samuel. And again, so this means that when you look at that passage down the line, if you ever get to it in your Bible reading plan, when David makes that census, understand that th- this wasn't random. God, David knew this passage here. He understood God's commandment for them in terms of pa- taking census, and David deliberately choose to disobey, and the result of his sin was that uh, thousands of Israelites died because of it. So, just continuing on here, verse thirteen: Everyone who is numbered from the 20, 20 years and older, and over, and over, shall give the contribution the Lord. So, there is an age restriction to go to war. You have to be twenty years and older. Um, I think I remember. I remember reading about the draft back in the Vietnam War. There was like it was like eighteen or something like that. That's like general idea here. But, but again, this is not a draft. This is like a volunteer. Thing that they would go if they wanted to fight, and they, but there is age restriction. Verse 15: You shall not pay the rich, shall not pay more, and the poor shall not pay less than the half shekel. When you give the contribution to the Lord, you should make atonement for yourself. So, again, this is shows the equality that's in uh, God's uh, economy. Uh, God does not look at the wealth of the person, and say, like, okay, wealthy people, you pay uh, more. Or less. Or poor people, you pay less or pay more. There's the same amount because God sees them all equal in his eyes. They may be in different life stages, but when it comes to this war or census, they have to pay equal amounts. uh, Which shows that there's fairness in the the eyes of the Lord. In our day, we can't do that. Right? In modern day, you see all the taxation stuff. There's always... (coughs) debate independent on who's in in the White House or who's you know, running the place, uh, you know rich should give tax more, rich should be taxed less, poor should be taxed more. you know all of these different debates in God's eye and in his, in his kingdom, they're all equal and they have to pay the same amount. Verse 16, you shall uh, take the you shall take the atonement money from the sons of Israel and you shall give it to, give it for the service of the tent of meeting. that it may be a memorial for the sons of Israel before the Lord to make atonement for yourselves. So again, this is saying this the reason why, they are, they're taking the taxes for the upkeep and the function of the temple. Um, so that's the lesson that we draw from here is that um, when it comes to war, uh, when it comes to even things like yeah, war, taking senses, God has a specific way of doing things. And by failing to do what God wants, uh, there, are, there are grave consequences to it. And that's the same way for our life. When we do what God wants in terms of our relationships with one another, in terms of the way the church is run, if, as long as we're faithful to the Lord then we're, then we're we then, and we honor the Lord with all that we do, that's all that God cares about. It doesn't matter what the world thinks. It doesn't even matter what people in our church think. If we're doing something that is contrary to scripture, we're in sin. We are called to uphold the word of God in every day, in 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 all things that we do, in the church, outside the church, in our personal lives, everything. It is as long as, and as long as we are faithful in that way, the Lord is honored, and we're and we will be blessed for it. Verse seventeen. Uh, this goes into a, a different section, which is basically uh, this cleansing ritual. And oftentimes in the Old Testament, uh, again, this is why I said like. Like, God does, and it created the world in such a way that man doesn't fully understand. And when we discover something, that's when we realize, like, oh, wow, God has already set all of this into play. In this case, this is the idea of germ theory. Look at verse 17. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, You shall also make a laver of bronze with a base of bronze for washing, and it shall be put in between the tent of meeting and the altar, and you shall put water in it. Aaron and his sons shall wash their hands and their feet from it. When you enter the tent of meeting they shall wash with water so that they will not die or they or when they approach the altar of ministry by offering up in the smoke a sacrifice to the lord so they will wash their hands and their feet so that they will not die and it shall be a perpetual statute for them for aaron and his descendants throughout their generation so this portion here is very fascinating because this is before germ theory came about and they're called to wash your hands and their feet again this is before they even understand what germs how they work and so they're doing this out of ignorance they're like okay i guess we have to clean ourselves because the gods god said that we touched uh that we're dirty i guess that's it they, they they understand physically what that feels like with their dirt in their hands or their feet and they're cleaning themselves but they don't understand how that's actually cleansing them again back then there would there would be a whole bunch of germs that spread out and uh, you know plagues and bacteria and all of these sickness happen unknowingly and they just think that it's some sort of spiritual thing, but it's actually very practical that it's because they just didn't wash their hands or wash their feet or whatever. And God is saying, you do this, as, and it does a twofold, a blessing in protecting you from germs, and also it will symbolize that if you wanna approach God, you need to be clean. God is not, um, God is not common. Uh, God is not like the dirt that's common. He is holy, he, and man is dirty, and they need to be clean if they, before they approach the Lord. Uh, and this is God's way of teaching them that they need to be pure, uh, they need to be physically pure, and the reason why they would do it physically is because uh, spiritually they are pure. They want to honor the Lord, and that's why they would do these uh, rituals. And In the New Testament, we understand this principle too. Matthew chapter five, verse eight: "Blessed is the pure in heart, for they shall see God." First uh, Timothy, first Timothy five. Oh, sorry, first Timothy, chapter one, verse tells us that but the goal of our instruction and in love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. 2 Timothy 2 verse 22 says now flee from youthful lusts and pursue righteousness faith love and peace with those who call unto the Lord from a pure heart. <laughs> so God wants people to be pure. God expects them to be pure if they're supposed to approach them. Again, this constant washing of their hand, their feet, to in order to approach the Lord, to make these sacrifices, is supposed to show them that you are not clean, that you are not holy, and that they, there are things that you need to just temporarily make yourself presentable to the Lord. God does not want people to be sloppy. He wants them to follow these rules, so to teach them that they need to be holy. Again, this you can see this uh, apply to our life, that when we... When we do the Lord's table, there's a reason why we say you don't want to do it in an unworthy way. I know that some of you are hiding your sin, and you still are doing communion. We warn people over and over again that you should not. And you know, let the cup pass, let the elements pass. If you are hiding some sort of sin, if there's some sort of uh, tension you have or anger towards uh, some other person, reconcile that relationship before you uh, take uh, um, uh, you know take the elements. Um, If you're unrepentant of your sin, do not take the elements. We say this every time we do the Lord's table. That's because you need to understand that when you're taking the meal, it's not just something you take, but it's supposed to be a symbolic gesture that you are doing this as a remembrance of the Lord, that you are presenting yourself holy before him. We know that Christ uh, has washed away all of our sins, but that that, that that doesn't mean that uh, we don't strive for holiness and for a pure heart in our own lives. Now, this last portion from verse 22 to 33, um just to summarize here it's is that there are things that god wants again this is something we're familiar with that it's sacred and that it's supposed to be set apart so here it's talk about this anointing oil i'm going to just summarize just very quickly without reading every verse here but you know the key asks uh verse 22 to 25 is there's a formula what you need to do the, the different mixtures the different things that you need to anoint them and, and verse 25 says it's a perfume mixture uh, that, that means that this is actually more like a paste. If you, uh, if you mix all these things together, it should be pretty thick. But it's used for a purpose that when they anoint things, so verse 26, With it you shall anoint the tent of meetings, and the ark of the testament, and the table, and its utensils and the lampstand, and its utensils and the altar of incense, and the altar of burnt offering, and its utensils and the laver and the stand. You shall also consecrate them, that they may be most holy, whatever toucheth them shall be holy. So this is, this is this visual thing for the people to know that, okay, these things that we're, that we're touching, uh, whether it be uh, the utensils or the altar, it's supposed to be set apart. So when they see this paste on it, they're not supposed to go close to it because they know that it's only designed for the priest to do it. In verse uh, 30, You shall anoint Aaron and his sons and consecrate them that they may be ministered as priests to me. So that means that the priests priest to be anointed for that reason, that they see, like, okay, this person that he's anointing, he's set apart for a particular task. Verse 31, You shall speak to the sons of Israel, saying, This shall be holy, uh, holy anointed oil to me throughout your generation. It shall not be poured on anyone's body, nor shall you make any like it in the same proportion. It is holy, and it shall be holy. Again, different, set apart. They, they cannot copy this this, this formula that is shown in verse 22 to 25. And this is about like a gallon, uh, just so you know, like the thing is, they're making is about like a gallon of, of this a paste here. Uh, and they're not supposed to make the exact same one, and they're not supposed to use it on on on, on anyone again it's it's designed specifically for the priests and the things that are pertaining to the temple verse thirty three whoever shall mix any like it or puts any of it on a layman shall be cut off from the people so again, there is a particular group of people that this is for, and if anyone does it, if they try to do um, if they try to replicate this for their own uh, use that is <clears throat> That is prohibited <clears throat> again the lesson here is that god wants certain things to be set apart for him and god is holy and man is not and um, god wants things to be done a particular way um, and we understand in new testament we are called to be set apart from the world the way that we live the way we conduct ourselves the way that we act and think needs to be different because our god is different i think one of the reasons why the church is losing ground in the culture that we are in is because we look like the culture uh the way that we live now i mean even sometimes perhaps for some maybe not our church but i for sure there are a lot of modern evangelicals popular preachers that are all over tv that live like the world right if you just look at just just go to tbn the bible network you can just watch like several hours or those things you can tell like there's no really difference between how they act and the way that like a celebrity would act they are like the world but yet Christians are supposed to be separate Christians should be distinct and unique in the way that we conduct ourselves inside the church of house of worship and when we worship how we worship and how we live outside of the church and, and we live as an act of worship to the Lord so when we think about that yeah God is a holy God and man is not that should compel us to evaluate our life and see where in 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 my life that is common that looks like the world and ask God for grace so that you can be, to so can be and live differently, so that people can know our God, and so that people can learn, know, and then receive and accept our God as our Lord Savior, because they will realize then that they are common and God is not. I think one of the compromises that young people make, and uh, you know Christians make in general, is that we fear being left out. We fear that the way that I live, the way that I talk, is going to make me stand out and you should you should stand out because you should look like our savior christ is holy and we are called to be holy as well therefore don't be afraid if people look at you differently if you pray before a meal pray for pray like boldly for the lord when you're evangelizing don't be timid you're sharing with them the truth of the gospel um, when, you go, when you make time for church and you say, I cannot do this, uh, but I need to do you know, ministry or go to church on Sunday, don't be shy about it. Um, live differently because our God is different. You know, church is not a social place. Church is a place where we worship the Lord. Our God is holy and distinct, and we're called to be unique in that way as well. I hope that this is helpful to you. Um, it was definitely in, in convicting for me when I think about some of these lessons. About prayer, about how God expects, and is very detailed in the way that He uh, wants us to live, and um, and that, that you know, and ultimately that man is uh, common and God is not, and that man is dirty and God is holy, and that it should cause all of us to strive to live a pure and holy life. I hope that this is helpful. On um, uh, next week, we will begin just going through each chapter. For each day and i think by the end of this month we should be done with the book of exodus thanks for listening take care and have a blessed weekend